Welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Here is your host, Lori Reichel, the Puberty Prof, a nationally recognized health educator, author of the award-winning book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty, and creator of the Talk Puberty app. And welcome to the Puberty Prof Podcast. My name is Lori Reichel, your host, the Puberty Prof. And today's episode is part two, in which we're going to talk a little bit more about masturbation with Dr. Keely Reese. Dr. Keely Reese, hello again. Glad to be here again. And thank you for having me back for part two. This is such a great conversation. And it just feels like we're having coffee somewhere together and having this conversation and hopefully inviting all these other listening ears across the nation. So happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much again. And a little reminder regarding Keely. She is a full professor at the university setting. She helps to oversee the OWL program in her local area. She's been trained in that. She talked about that program in her last episode, part one of the M word. And she also is the owner overseer of Keely Reef International. So a reminder for you, if you'd like more information about Keely, I'll put a link for how you can get in touch with her on the podcast episode description. So like I said, this is part two of the M word in which the M word stands for masturbation. And to remind you the definition that was provided in part one, and this is from Fossey, the future of sex education, masturbation is the touching of one's own body for sexual pleasure. This may include stimulation of one's own genitals and commonly results in <laughs> orgasm. The last episode talked about some of the background regarding why parents don't always talk with children regarding masturbation, as well as some of the myths and truths about masturbation. In this episode, we're going to have some conversation about when parents approach us as health educators, what they're concerned about, if they walk in on their child, and some advice about how to handle some of these situations. So, Keely, do you mind sharing some of your experience of parents approaching you regarding some concerns? Absolutely. Um, this is one of the most, I don't know, this is the thing that I feel the most honored. Uh, and I guess having this longevity and this kind of, you know, the work that we do in health education and being a trusted voice around this. And I just feel so honored every time someone reaches out to me. And sometimes that's the teens themselves, and they will come up with alternative email addresses if they don't even feel like they can put it in the Q&A box. And they will create a whole separate account to ask questions about these things. Or maybe a parent will come in because their, their child has brought up something in OWL. Or again, a lot of parents that you know, and I, as I mentioned in the first episode, I have two teens myself. I have a 15-year-old daughter and an almost 19-year-old son. And just through the years, people just know sort of what I do too. If my friends is uh, my kids' friends and their parents, and again, recognizing that I know that 80% of parents do not feel comfortable talking to their children about masturbation, let alone sexuality education. While that stat is out there. We also know that 
on average, the between 14 and 17 year olds, you know, over half to three fourths of teens that are surveyed engage in some sort of self pleasure. So we know they're masturbating and we know parents don't want to talk about it. So it's like this inverse like diagram, right? And so over the years, I just get these inquiries that will come in an email or a parent will text and say, hey, I have a question for you or, hey, how do I approach this? And they range from their child. They know their child is probably engaging in masturbation. And in particular, I'm thinking of a young person that started reading some more sexually explicit materials in the recent years and just literature, um, sort of like the old fashioned Harlequin romance novels. But because reading is an easy way, it makes me think of like the Fifty Shades of Grey that just everyone was like covering the cover of and like teens were getting a hold of and figuring out, oh my gosh, I could read this and learn about it. And there was a lot of uh, masturbation and different things in that series as well that allowed us as parents and as educators to have these conversations around pop culture. And so, you know, when a parent calls me, usually they're just so fearful that they're going to screw up the talk or they don't even know how to start it. Where do I start it? I don't want them to feel embarrassed or ashamed that I saw that they're reading these books or that they had these magazines or that they might have been downloading things on the family computer or their iPads, um, which is a real much more common thing today that it's on an electronic device versus that, you know, you'd be finding Playboy or Girl or Hustler or any of the other <laughs> print media in the, a few generations ago. And they just are so worried that they're going to screw it up and they don't know how to start it. And so I love just having that conversation of number one, just um, the, this one that just came in more recently this year, and another parent had reached out that they had walked in on their child masturbating. And, uh, and that's going to be right when, you know, teens are hitting their pre-puberty years, you know, so it could start as early as 9, 10, 11, probably more common around 13, 14 for most kids. Uh, but there has to be some new kind of ground rules in the household, right, about knocking before entering. And a lot of teens pull away at that time normally because it's adolescence. It's it's normal adolescent development that they're in their room more, they're by themselves more. And now you might notice that they're taking showers longer. They're in their bedrooms a lot longer. They are locking the door um, these are probably some of the cues and signs that are uh, that they're want they're pulling away for that privacy sake, and that they don't want to be caught, and that they're worried they're going to be caught. And so, making sure that you're giving them the time and space for that. And so, when those calls and and texts and emails come in, you know, the number one thing I say is just take a deep breath, relax. Number one, masturbation is normal. We we want them to pleasure them themselves first so that they engage as adults in healthy mutual sexual relationships where they can tell partners what feels good, what doesn't feel good. And so we usually, I just approach it with where that parent's at. So I usually use my good interviewing skills, my motivational interviewing background to say, tell me what it's, tell me what's going on, describe what you've seen or heard. And let's just kind of explore that. And 
I usually also don't push parents beyond their comfort level. So where I'm very comfortable having these very open conversations at dinner with my children because I have done it since they were three, they're used to it. They roll their eyes and like, oh, great, here goes mom again talking about masturbation or condoms or whatever. And they... But those other parents that I'm talking with, that is not their experience. They didn't grow up that way. They didn't, they're not sexuality educators. They're not health educators. And they're terrified of screwing it up themselves, of of being embarrassed. So I usually say I meet them where they're at and then I coach them through what's, what's your comfort level on this. And then I usually provide them resources like developmentally what their child is going through. And there's some really great resources from um, advocatesforyouth.org and mm-hmm. they provide these little fact sheets about every age and stage that a child is going through. And they're, they're easy because they're plain language for parents and they're not in like our health educator speak, public health speak. Um, And it helps the parent recognize that, oh, it's really normal that my 9, 10, 11-year-old is touching themselves, that they're exploring this, that they are wanting a little bit more privacy, that my 13-year-old is taking a hour and a half long shower, you know, whatever it might look like. And so we really explore where they're at as a parent where that what they've seen, what they've noticed, and then help them come up with talking points. And not on an entire lecture or a sit down and we're going to have the talk. It's going to be like small conversations of, hey, I'm noticing that you want some more privacy. Hey, I'm noticing that you're locking the door on your bedroom. I want to respect your boundaries and your privacy. And if you want to tell me more about that or have a conversation, so on and so forth. And then we just, you know, and then the bringing up masturbation, it is a parent literally or a guardian having to say, masturbation is this, self-pleasuring is this, and it's normal. And here are some things that I can help you with about that. And some parents are much more, they would like to just put the books in the child's room and make the books available. And there's some really good books that I often give parents, depending on the age and stage um, that the child is. But having books are readily available for the teen or the preteen or the young child to open themselves in the privacy of their room, with their light on, underneath the cover, whatever they need to do, the bathroom, it helps them ha- explore it. And then it also sends a message to the child that, hey, my parent knows there's this mutual understanding that they've given me this book. It's ended up in my room and that it's kind of a, a cue for that. I really appreciate that you pluralize that word talk because it's about talks. It's not the talk. And I've always disliked how people will say, did you have the talk? No, this is a continual process. Mm-hmm. And I really, it's, it's interesting that you brought up a lot of parents will ask you, they've asked me about, you know, I walked in on my child. There's something about, you know, in our homes, can we start teaching children early on about privacy? Because if you're a parent or other caregiver and you perhaps are doing something with a significant other, you have the right to have that privacy in which even as a young child, for children to understand to knock on the door, not to just walk in to understand that privacy that we can start teaching them at a, at a young age. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I think so often we take doors for granted. 
it's kind of a privileged sort of apparatus in a home and so a, a door with a lock from the inside. Um, there's others that have doors with locks on the outside. I mean, there's a lot of invasions of privacy that happen. And, mm-hmm. and I think that is such a foundational aspect of this is that um, when we're teaching kids about consent and about their bodies and their privacy, privacy is about consent as well. And mm-hmm. so you're right. I I absolutely encourage them to have multiple talks. It should start when they're young. And then it should start with, hey, if you see this door shut, just knock before you enter. And if there's not a door, can there be a divider? Can there be a curtain? Can there be a noise device? Can there be, you know, at at minimum, um, we hope that people have access to doors on bathrooms. It might be the only place in a home that actually has a door. And then can there be a door that provide provided with a lock um, that can be helpful? And and that's such a thing we take for granted in a lot of homes, that especially if there's multiple generations or there's, um, you know, just access to those things. We just take it very for granted that those doors are there or families that grow up without doors in their families and they have a very open policy. That's a very different story, too. But some sort of signal or cue and. That is why it's pretty normal that kids will do this exploration in the shower, in the bathtub, because they feel the safest in there. The door is locked and there's a space between when you stop giving your child a bath and they start bathing themselves or showering themselves. And I remember that distinctively because for much of your early parenting and guardianship, you are bathing that baby, that child, because of water and water safety. And then there's this space where it goes from that to then, okay, child needs privacy and some taking those social cues, it's the same thing about that time when you stop bathing that child is definitely, I always say to a parent, that's a cue, have this conversation about their body parts, they should be washing their own body parts. And we should be having conversations about who is and isn't allowed to touch those body parts and where all over their bodies, um, not just their genitalia, of course. And I love it because a lot of the parents are just terrified. And, it, and if you've walked in accidentally on your child masturbating or looking at images or, you know, any part of that thing. It's, it is 100% our reaction to what we just saw that will make or break the next conversation that happens. And so when that happens, I usually coach that parent through and help them recognize not in the moment, give the kid the privacy when they've been walked in, step out, apologize, but then at a yeah, later time, mm-hmm. yep, acknowledge it and spend some time saying, hey, I know that was really uncomfortable. I'm not uncomfortable. And I sometimes I'll even coach them through language. If they need language of what to say, we will talk about what that might look like. And it might look like, hey, I'm really um, sorry that that happened. I'm also wanting to let you know that what I walked in on is, you know, okay and normal. And I'm here if you have questions about it Um, and just to name it and sort of claim it and then not like badger it in that moment. Don't belabor it. It doesn't need to be a 45 minute talk. It can be literally five minutes, but you're acknowledging and you're letting the kid know that there's nothing shameful about it. When we ignore it and never address it again, then there becomes this mutual like understanding of like, oh crap, I've been caught. I can't do this again. And then the next time they go to engage in masturbation, 
they have a muscle memory of that shame of like, I've been walked in on. So they might not do it for a long time again. They might then feel very nervous about doing it again, which then leads to later like actual physical uh, body reactions to that sexual pleasure. And so again, it can be brief, letting the kid know, the child, the teen, whoever, it's okay. I, we need to acknowledge it. I'm here if you have questions. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. I was a teen once. I was, a, you know, however you want to say that. And I'll coach them through however they want help on that when they get back to it. And there's really good resources that help parents on that too. But, um, and some okay. parents are, yeah, take to a take a breath. breath too. <laughs> take a breath first and relax. And in their own mind, remember that it's normal. It's okay. It's going to happen. We live in these small houses, especially in COVID, um, possibly with thin walls, and that that it's okay. And and then we normalize it. And then not to embarrass the child. This shouldn't happen in front of other siblings. It shouldn't happen in front of maybe even the other parent, depending on the parent, other parent or guardian's views about this. Um, And or sometimes I have it where maybe one parent walks in and then shifts it to like, oh, now you need to have the talk with our child. I walked in and I'm now your turn. And that also sends a message that you, whichever parent walked in and I'm is also really shameful about it. They shifted it to the other parent. And ideally in an ideal world, we have both guardians, both parents sitting down and talking with the child at some point, multiple points, different car rides, different whatever. But if possible, it's best if the parent that or the guardian that did walk in is the parent that addresses it. Again, maybe not that same day or right there. It's just, hey, sorry about that. And then later on that day or the next day. And my favorite thing I tell parents is um, have those conversations when you're doing something else. It's not an eyeball to eyeball conversation. This is a we're in the car on the way to soccer. We're in the car and we're on the way to the grocery store or Target or or we're in public transportation. We're riding, you know, next to each other, sitting on the bus together or the train or wherever it might be. Um, when there's eye to eye contact, that's just going to make at a dinner table looking across each other. That can be intense. But if you're making dinner and, and the kids in the room and you're talking about it or you're doing another task. Um, it's going to be much easier for the kid and yourself. And so I usually recommend that there's like a, a mutual activity that you're doing. And so like the car ride the next day, make the other sibling ride with the other <laughs> friend next door or, you know, getting them alone to, um, and it's not like you're getting them alone and going to have this uncomfortable space. And I think if there are shorter talks all the time, it's going to become normalized. And then it's not this giant thing and everyone's sweating and everyone's anxious. And then, oh my gosh, I'll tell one story too. Um, you know, my kids are kind of an anomaly when you grow up with a health educator because they've grown up with me talking about this since they were, you know, verbal um, in the bathtub about who can touch their body, who can't, what's, you know, who's a safe adult, what does that mean? What does that look like? And all parts of their body. But then you know, growing up, they've also ridden around in my van with lots of um, sex education tools rolling around the van. And one of my favorite stories is, and my kids tell this story to their friends to this day. They were probably seven and 10 or seven and 11 around there. And we had 
just had a big event on our campus and one of my classes helped with the event and the event happened to be like a big fair, if you will, around sexuality education. And so we had all these signs and stuff and I had different things in there, these big signs that described the event and it was in the back of my van and we, it was in the spring and we went to the car wash where they're going to do the interior. And and the kids were with me and we had gone through the car wash and then you park and you get out of the car and then they're going to do the interior. And I said to the guys, I said, you don't need to do the back end. My back end of my van is just full of all kinds of junk. Don't worry about it. Well, we're watching from the window and they open the back end of the van and there's probably about, you know, five of those car wash teens and young people. Um, and they open up the back and my kids are like, oh no, oh no, they're opening the back, mom. And they're like, are they going to be embarrassed? And, you know, my kids aren't embarrassed. And my son, I'll never forget. It's just like, oh, they're in for it. <laughs> was his comment. They're going to get a lesson. And so this, to this day, we joke about, you know, the different things that were rolling around back there. And, and um, they just laugh about it and they tell their friends about, yep, this is what my mom does for a job drives around with, you know, my owl, I have a bag with all my owl stuff in it that has a lot of devices and stuff. And so it's, it's normalized and they recognize that their peers didn't grow up with that. And so the other really cool thing is, is when you talk to your teens and your children or the, the humans you're raising, um, or as an educator, if you're listening, you, those teens become the teens that their friends come to. Yeah. And their friends know that they're a safe person because they're so comfortable talking about these things. And both of my teens have experienced that and been the teen that their friends will often confide in or trust, or they know that they can, uh, their friends know that I, as you know, a guardian will, you know, not, will help them get information if they need it or help their parents get that information if they need it. And it's a really cool legacy to pass on and help them be so sex positive and especially around self-pleasure. And we've had those moments at our house too. So, well, I think it's funny being health educator and teaching on this topic. If you go into my office on campus, if you open up certain drawers, you're going to see certain things. You're going to see like a, uh, a, a sample breast for people to practice breast self-examination. You're going to see some scrotum sacs for testicular self-examination. These things are there and it's it's like, yeah, it's there. It doesn't have an embarrassment to it because we're in the field. And yeah. it's part of that normalization of, yeah, it's there. That does not mean that either of us partake in things. I believe that we both have values yeah. that are positive, that people respect us for. So please, any of our listeners, don't misperceive that because we talk about this topic, that means that we partake in certain things that people yeah. don't, that would judge or something. Okay. We Again, we have, this is a, an opportunity for you to talk with people about your values, your beliefs. If you do want to use this episode to talk with your children, you can even sit down and have this conversation and listen together and say, okay, this is one person's perspective. These are my beliefs. Please utilize this podcast as a tool. Yeah. One of the things I love too is, especially when people realize that I, most of my adult, I mean, the last 15 years of what I've done this in is in a church. So I'm teaching comprehensive sex education in a faith-based setting. So I think that also always floors uh, individuals that are like, what? You talk about sex in a church and we incorporate 
people's values and and the teens and the young adults and the adults they also get to interpret their own values tied in with their spirituality in with their religion and we help them navigate their own beliefs about it so it's never me projecting my beliefs i am just so grateful that i have the opportunity to do it in a faith-based setting because it adds this incredible other layer that sexuality is so spiritual sexuality is a part of our entire wellness being and that there's something so beautiful about our bodies and that our bodies were meant to feel pleasure and meant to pleasure ourselves as well as uh, we talk about what the scriptures say about that. We talk about what other um, religious dogmas feel about it. We, we unpack a lot of that and, and we can because it's in a faith setting versus in a K through 12 setting. I recognize many educators are not able to do that and that's okay, but that's just the honor and I guess privilege I feel like I've had being able to do it through OWL. And as families, when you get to sit with your children and talk about it, you get to incorporate your values about this, about masturbation, but all the other topics as well. And that's the benefit is that you get to pass that on to your next you know, legacy of your family. Now I want to talk a little bit about if you're going to choose to please yourself, a little bit about cleanup. Because I was thinking that this is something like I know if I was going to be sitting on a chair, I want to make sure that if somebody was there, they cleaned up. I I don't know if this is an awkward thing that parents bring to you regarding how do I teach my child that if there are some body fluids that are excreted, that are ejaculated, what do we do with this? Oh my gosh, this is one of my favorite topics. Absolutely. Oh my goodness, Lori. There is this, um, so for parents who are listening, who might be, um, uh, you know, raising teens right now, you might be of the generation, you watched a very well-known Showtime series called Weeds. And if you don't know it, you can Google it. But there's this episode where um, this young boy, um, Shannon, is he's you know prepubescent he's experiencing masturbation and he is ejaculating into socks and then he is taking these socks and he's clogging their um, plumbing system with them he's flushing them down the toilet and putting them in places and so they have to have the in the whole episode they have to have you know plumb have to have their plumbing fixed because of this and so then the mother no socks down the the toilet bowl please yep Exactly. And so Uncle Andy has to come in and tell him about how to properly dispose. It's the best scene ever. And I use it in my um, classes sometimes as a talking point. And and so absolutely disposal is one of the big pieces. And so sometimes it's also a cue, a way to tell your child that you're okay and and accepting of their, you know, uh, masturbation is that you can provide some opportunities for those conversations. And so we usually, you know, that's why the bathroom is great because they can engage in masturbation in the shower or the bath and the cleanup is relatively very easily or the toilet. And of course this scene is great because we, so tube socks got a really bad rap after this whole thing. And so a lot of, um, parents that do the cleanup in their teens rooms or help them with that or, you know, you might find things under beds or under pillows or under sheets or stocked away into a drawer or something. Um, again, find it, dispose of it, 
And then um, just help the kid not be embarrassed about it. Because I think that's the thing that usually comes out of that is shame. Like, what is this? Why are you doing this? This is disgusting. And we place all this like you know, it's a human bodily function and it secretes, um, semen or vaginal secretion. And so disposing of it is appropriate. And so what we always say is clinics are best are great, you know, and then for, um, individuals that, you know, they can just be thrown away. And so it's, it's giving the child an opportunity to have that space and to recognize it. And so just putting a wastebasket in a child's room is a big thing. And then they don't have to worry about who's seeing what's in the in the wastebasket. Um, but if they always have to come to a communal wastebasket, that can be like a big, shameful, embarrassing thing. So just reuse your plastic bags and use them in a small wastebasket in your child's room, um, teaching your child, you know, that. So sometimes the quintessential handing your child boxes of Kleenex and, you know, uh, Vaseline or lotion or something like that can be a great thing. And in the sex education world, we prefer like lubrication and just teaching a child right away what lubrication is and where you purchase it, how you purchase it, what it costs, um, because it's going to be safe for their genitalia. Number one, it will not cause infection. There are other things that children teens figure out to use from baby oil to Vaseline to things in the household. But why not just have, you know, some extra things of lube around for them that they can explore with and aren't going to harm their body anyway or cause any other infection or bacterial infection. And then disposing and just teaching them that this is like any other bodily function. Just clean up after yourself. Hey, engage in it. It's normal. And just letting them know it's like cleaning up their room in any other aspect. I mean, when we raise teens, we pretty much know it's the norm to find 10,000 spoons and plates and cereal bowls and cups laying around the room. It's probably also normal. You're going to find other wrappers and Kleenex or socks or wherever they're disposing it into t-shirts, but um, that, and, and letting them, teaching them to wash their own bedding too, is a really great part of it because they don't then have to be embarrassed by it. Um, and it takes the laundry load off of the guardians in the family. So teach them how weekly or every week, other week to pull off their sheet and go ahead and wash it. And then they're not embarrassed by it mm-hmm. um, because that's like often where it happens. Those tube socks or if they're using a towel or something, they have fluids on a towel. That also doesn't have to be thrown out. It can also be yep. washed in the washing machine. Yep. And just giving them the access to the washing machine and letting them know that this is part of your normal chores every Saturday morning, you know, get the stuff down here. And, or if you are the guardian that's washing all the clothes, fine, but then just make it not a thing and to embarrass them and not to shame them about it. You might find tube socks or t-shirts or, and towels is a great one. Use a towel, you know, a washcloth, and you might find that you're going through a lot of washcloths and towels. Fine. Don't shame the kids about that. I usually try to help the parents with that. And, um, you know, and the cleanup is just a part of like, just make it part of all the other cleanup that you do as a family in your house anyway, you know, that you vacuum your room, you clean up your bowls, you, you know, just like any other. And again, I, I will say the game changer is the small waste basket in their bedroom yes. and a box Thank of you. Kleenex. Yes. Because I know a lot of parents and other caregivers have spoken to me about like, how do I handle that? that and it's part of, well, it's just like if you have a wet dream, a nocturnal emission, yep. you know, it's cleanup. If you have menstrual fluids, so yep. you, 
you have to figure out that basic hygienic stuff for natural things that happen to us on this planet. So thank you for that. Yeah. Um, and the smell, I, I was going to say too, sometimes the teens are really self-conscious about the smell. Um, cause like all these vaginal and, you know, ejaculation secretions, they have a, some can have a distinct smell. And so they're very, sometimes they're very shameful about that too. And I think just having a quick conversation that it's normal, it can smell different at different times of the month for if a, if a young um, person is menstruating or that if they eat certain different foods, it can have different smells and it's normal mm -hmm. and that it, you know, but built up and left in the room. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Or worse yet, the dog comes running out with the, you know, <laughs> tube sock or something, you know, you, and you just don't want, want to have them be embarrassed and yeah. Yeah. in front of someone. And which it happen, if it happens, then you have a, <laughs> a cute little story to tell in the future for sure. Yeah. Yet also, you know, cope with it, take a breath, like Keely had said, yeah. and, and go forward. Now, a future episode will include conversations about the realities of some young people being exposed to some messages that actually are not helpful to their brains. Yet, how can, in your eyes, a parent or other caregiver approach a child if they see that their child is watching something? Or even like the Fifty Shades of Grey, I know for that show and that movie, it was a first experience with this person and she experienced pleasure very quickly, which is not always common the first time of being sexually affectionate with another person. So is there a very brief thing that you would say to a parent to say, lead the conversation in this manner? Absolutely. And because sexuality is such a visual part of our, I mean, visual for all and for all humans is such an aspect the sight the smells the sounds all of our senses are so into play and particularly um what we see um and so in when young teens I, I would say today we have a harder job as parents because we have teens at such a young age you know starting now at eight nine ten that have the whole world wide web on their hand with iPhones and that just makes it so much more challenging. So of course with young children, and I'm glad to hear you're having a conversation with folks down the road about that. Cause it's such, it's one of my favorite topics too. Um, and around masturbation, it's really normal that an individual is going to visualize something, someone, a body part. And so whether they're pulling up an image images and in the old er days that might have looked like the Sears catalog that might have looked like the um, lingerie mag um, like Victoria's Secret that used to come in the mail and they just don't come in the mail as much anymore but often parents would notice those disappearing in their house and um, and all the way to like you know as we mentioned before the magazines um, so whether that is like our pornography magazines. And those just aren't as common today. I mean, sometimes kids get a hold of them and they pass them around. Someone's got them in their garage. That's still a thing for sure. Mm -hmm. There's still print media. Teaching the child that it's it, that it's okay that you're thinking of something or someone. And that's that conversation that is so important and bringing in the conversation about porn because it's two clicks and kids are in porn. It's two clicks and they are, and even the apps that they have access to that have just visual images, whether it's, it may not even be pornography, but you can be on Instagram and Facebook and 
some of the other apps and it's very visually stimulating. So that can be a very normal part of masturbation. When it starts to get not normal, you know, and that's, that is probably the fear that most parents have is that when is it not normal? And when now is this a problem? When is my kid now? And this is where they usually think, oh my gosh, my kid's a sexual deviant. And we go down the road of, oh my gosh, my kid has, you know, and that's, um, that's a very real fear and very normal to have those thoughts. And so when to worry is when they sort of have excessive preoccupation with it. Um, they're preoccupied with the app or the device and, you know, there's this very, and, and porn is very addicting. Um, and we're seeing so much more of this in the last five, 10 years than we ever have. And so we want to make sure we're having conversations with a child about that, that it's visually normal to want to look at something when you're masturbating or think of something. And we want to provide them with opportunities for that. So this is where those books can be really helpful, educational sexuality books versus pornography that is helping teens and young people see a really different view of than what sex really is and, and what it can be and how it's really um, glamorized in a way that can be very unhealthy. And I don't mean glamorized in a good way, but sexualized and how our, and it does change the brain for sure. We know that science, mm -hmm. uh, the studies are so clear on that. And so I'm a fan of some other books that are out there that are just visually very stimulating. And even if you go back to the old fashioned joy of sex, they are pencil drawings and they are absolutely beautiful. And you, the newer versions of it have more um, pictures and stuff, but some of the old editions, and I have a whole edition of them, but I think they're something that can be really great for an older teen. Okay, now I can see what this actually might look like. And it's beautiful. It's, it's, a, it's loving. It's consensual. Um, and it's a lot more realistic than what teens are going to see on than porn or some of these apps. Dr. Laura Berman has another book that I absolutely love. It's a visual, it's photographs of women and men and men and men and women, every sort of couple you can think of, but they're visually very beautiful, consensual bodies of all types, colors, skin color, race, um, background. And again, it's very loving and it's very educational. And so that's like something that can be used and again like if if you'd rather have them have those visuals than having access to everything on there and again it's pretty normal if a kid is going to be googling stuff and looking things up and all of a sudden you find a whole bunch of images of uh, penises and vulvas on your devices and or you know they've clicked on some other clickbait um but i that's that's part of that constant conversation constant conversation and again, taking the shame out of it and trying to be like, hey, I know you're interested. I know you're aware of these things. Let's have a conversation about it. What do you think about it? And then you're able to share your thoughts and ideas about it too. I think it's interesting you bring up the apps too. Something that when I created the Talk Puberty app, and then there's also the Talk Before Sex app, the person that helped with the coding, uh, we talked about if we can offer that for free, the reality is if we have it for free, 
advertisers can go through that. And I don't have control over what advertisement would appear. And I refuse for that to happen, that I don't want anything inappropriate, especially when you have an app that has the word penis, breast, vulva. I want families to be able to go through or health teachers to be able to go through the app and not have anything inappropriate appear. So realize that's why there is a, a partial charge of $1.99 for those apps. That's how much if it's a free app, you don't always have control of what your children can be exposed to. Yep. That's, something, that's something I just learned. And I've been you know, in the health education field for a long time. And I appreciate that you bring that up. Now, we're coming towards the end of part two. Is there anything else you'd like to share with parents or young people regarding this topic? Oh, my gosh. I think that my biggest message, I think I've said this once, but I think that's such an exciting time to be a parent. And it is also some of the scariest times to be a guardian or a parent of teens. And I think that our own fears and our own muscle memory of our own teenage years um, and experiences with our parents or guardians or teachers or whatever it was, positive or negative, this is the part where you get to cultivate and create your own sort of conversations around it. You can sort of change the legacy. You can shift the narrative. Um, you, you have the power as a guardian, as a parent to instill a completely different relationship for themselves around their bodies. And one thing I love about masturbation to the topic is that it just brings so much self-love to your body and what all body sizes, shapes, colors, um, it just is such a universal language. And one of the things we talk about too, is like masturbation across like cultures. And I love studying the cross-cultural aspect of masturbation. And it is just another beautiful part of our body. It is normal. It's biology. It is, you have all these other messages that come in from the, from the universe around it too. And, and that it's another expression of our sexuality. And as parents and guardians, we just have the ability to shape and shift that narrative, even if our experiences were different or negative. And my message is just to take that deep breath, take a step back, arm yourself with some resources ahead of time, um, and then start small. And don't have the giant masturbation talk, but start with a tiny talk and a conversation, and then another one, and then another one, and then another one, and to keep it going. Great. So to summarize overall, what we talked about for part two is that for this topic, if you're going to talk to another person regarding it, whether that be a child, a parent, another caretaker, to take a breath, to take many breaths, if need be, (laughs) to have talks. So that's a plural thing, not just one talk, but talk. Third thing is to support, have a norm in the household of privacy, where there is a place where people can go. And if they do choose to engage in self-pleasure masturbation to practice hygienic habits. Because the other thing too is it's, I don't, I wouldn't want anybody to think you have to do this, but if you choose to that practice hygienic habits. And then one last thing that certainly Keely has raised and it's, it's been raised in other episodes that there are resources that exist to go to. Keely's mentioned some, uh, there's a whole bunch on, on this topic 
And if you're interested, the Talk Puberty app has one section that's called Other Questions. So if you're going to use that with a child, you can actually start talking about, I think there's a question about going to the doctor first, and eventually there's a question about masturbation. So that can be another way to approach the topic. Again, you can listen to this podcast episode with your child if you choose to. You can listen to it first and then have them listen to it with you, and you can critique it. Feel free to, because we want to provide as many resources as we can to support healthier conversations within the families, as well as in health education settings. So Dr. Keely Reese, I thank you so much. Again, I really do. It's been a pleasure. Can you let us know how people can get in touch with you if they'd like to? Absolutely. Easiest is just um, keelyreese.com, K-E-E-L-Y-R-E-E-S.com. And then you can get on there, get to my contact page, it'll directly send me an email, you know, and that's probably the easiest way to find me. You can, I mean, you can look up my university page and stuff too, but uh, you know, if you want to direct, if you have a question and you want to send it, you know, so you know, so like I'm stuck on how to do this. Um, I just have a lot of, and I can even share those with Dr. Reichel too. And uh, if you want to put some more of those resources in the description, but if you have specific questions, please do not hesitate to reach out. I think that's my other biggest message as guardians and parents, you are not alone. For every one parent that's having that conversation today, there's hundreds more that are like, I want to, but I'm just as you know nervous and, and um, overwhelmed with how to even start to. And so I think just lean in, talk, you know, and this is something that sometimes parents don't even want to talk with each other about. They're like, oh, well, I should know this. I should automatically know how to do this. No, it's, it, like I said, it's not given out in the handbook. So lean in, ask questions, and really grateful to be here. Thank you, Dr. Eichel. Excellent. Thank you. And yes, I'd love if you want to share some of those resources, that'd be great. I can put it in with this episode description. That'd be great. So thank you again. And I thank all of our listeners for chiming in and listening to this episode, part two of the M word, masturbation. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to go to pubertyprof.com and write something in the comment box there. You can also reach out to Dr. Keely Reese. So thanks again for listening, and I hope you have a happy and healthy day. Thank you for listening to the Puberty Prof Podcast, where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics. Did you enjoy this episode? Please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also follow the Puberty Prof on Twitter or Instagram. The Puberty Prof, Lori Reichel, wants to hear from you. Go to pubertyprof.com or click on the link in this episode's description. There you can find more information as well as ask questions to be answered by the Puberty Prof in a future episode. That's pubertyprof.com. Also, remember to check out the Talk Puberty app and the book, Common Questions Children Ask About Puberty. Until next time, this is the Puberty Prof Podcast where information and tools are shared to help you have conversations about puberty and other growing up topics.